The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments or questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also message us during the show from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner, and your anonymity is always respected. So sometimes when we enter a new situation or perhaps engage with a new group, we're not quite sure how we fit in. Sometimes we offer suggestions before we really know what's going on. And other times we might think, well, if they just do it my way, it'll be okay. I think it's probably safe to say that many, if not most of us, in addiction recovery have had those kind of experiences. So today, we'd like to share how to be a valued member of a group without alienating others. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of that need to control or be in charge that so many of us had, and then move into the solution of surrendering to a higher power. After the break, we'll share exactly how letting go of those old habits allowed us to enter into a new era of cooperation and experience the joy and peace that go along with it. So, Lonnie, we just uh, said that uh, many, if not most, maybe even all, wouldn't be a stretch of us, have had those experiences. I know I have. What was that like for you? Well, you know, every week when we start the show, I'm reflecting on this and I think, you know what? So many of these things started as a childhood coping skill for me. You know, they were they were a way that I learned to live in, in the environment I was in and what seemed to me to be a lot of uncertainty and chaos. And my experience with that was um, 
the way to fix that is to to make my own impose order and control, you know, according to my rules, what made sense in my life. And so I had a lot of experiences with that and they started very young. Uh, I, I would concur with that. Um, I don't I don't know where all that came from. I didn't live in a particularly. Um, oh you know, troubling household. I think for me as a quiet kid, you know, as an introvert, uh, as a highly sensitive kid, I just sort of developed over time this uh, sense that, you know, I, I wasn't okay if I didn't have some influence or control over whatever it is that's going on. And so mine was, and we talk about this a lot, mine was absolutely kind of a fear-driven thing, like basically that I was afraid of what would happen, meaning how I might feel uh, if I could not control a situation. So I tended to either stay out of things or if I was in them to try and uh, have some undue level of influence or control, I would say. All, all out of fear, simple as that. That's probably at the root of most of mine as well. I remember I have I have three younger sisters, and so there were four of us under the age of five. And so my mom kind of had her hands full with that. And as the eldest child, I was often put in charge, put that in quotes, of my three younger sisters. And so I grew up uh, being bossy and do it this way and being given the responsibility to see that people were where they needed to be, when they needed to be there, dressed appropriately and on the school bus and, and all of those kind of things that today I can see I took to an extreme. I acquired this idea that I know how things should be. And, and if I'm given an, um, uh, some direction, this is what I expect of you, then I take it upon myself to go forth and do that. And I can see how that really got out of balance in my life over time. When I think back, I, I believe that that, uh, you know, those, that early sort of fear-driven uh, need to either remove myself from a situation or control the situation um, pretty easily morphed into a desire to control how I felt. I mean, when I say uh, I was afraid of this or of that, at the end of the day, what I'm really afraid of in my situation wasn't a physical thing as much as afraid of how I would feel. And so that uh, fairly quickly morphed into um, the need to control how I felt. And uh, from there, it's a pretty short step, I think, to experiencing the kind of alcoholism that I did because uh, alcohol became the go-to solution later in life for doing exactly that, for controlling how I felt. And as we say, and I've said many times, it worked till it didn't. <laughs> that is the truth. So one of my coping skills as a child was um, to predict the future. And I got pretty good at it. And what I mean by that was I could anticipate that the way that different people in my life would react. If I did this, then they'll do that. And I remember laying awake at night. I was kind of playing the odds in my head, if you will, trying to predict how this next, next set of circumstances, this next event, this next uh, situation in my life was going to play out. And very often it did play out that way, which, of course, then gave me a false sense of, of my own um, ability 
to to control what was going on. If I just figure this out, and that was my mantra for a long time, I can figure this out. If I just have enough information and I know, and I put together the pieces in the way that they need to be put together, I can figure out how to control this. And so I spent a lot of my time doing that. Yeah, I, I somehow developed that same skill and that, that need to understand is a core driver in me. And like many things, you know, it can be used skillfully and used unskillfully. Uh, again, I'm thinking about the whole safety thing. And because of that, I felt always felt like I needed to have things done in, in the, quote, best way, which means my way, you know, the best way in my opinion. Uh, based on whatever it is that I thought I knew about a situation, which I, I have to acknowledge is a good skill to have. Uh, it can be when applied to self, you know, for uh, uh, doing things well or doing a good job, or if I decide I want to do something to do it well and see it through. Uh, but not so much uh, when it when kind of pointed at others, you know, expecting others to do things the way that I think is the best way is not uh, not a good place to be. You know, we've talked before about how uh, addiction is a family disease and whether people are actively using or they're only the family members around the person actively using, we all suffer the side effects of that. And in my family, I suffered the side effects as well as, you know, as, as a child. And, you know, I learned that I was not okay unless you were okay. You know, which of course is is one of the aspects of codependency, and so I would spend um, an inordinate amount of effort making sure that you were okay, the whoever the the power figure, the you in my life was, and that that fed into my emotional security needs because if you weren't okay, it was unpredictable, it was chaotic, um, I I had no emotional security. You know, it fed my abandonment fears, and so um, you know. I did not know for a very long time that that was not the way that normal families operated. And and that's one of the things that I had to learn about is how do I tell the difference? How do I know when I'm okay, whether you're okay or not? That is a good question. I think that's an unfolding uh, answer there perhaps. And and I'm, I'm not sure either these, uh, what I call these mythical functional families, you know, we talk a lot about dysfunctional family, which I think is just the long form of family. Uh, I'm not sure where these functional families are. Maybe they're so invisible because they're not notable because everything's going really well. Um, but, you know, certainly a, a challenge is uh, growing up for me. I, I remember that I did not like uh, to feel like I was wrong, um, like I didn't understand something. And understanding was my main path to avoiding uh, feeling wrong. And that was all about my, you know, sense of safety. And I didn't like to feel wrong because my safety was tied up in feeling what I considered right. And of course, this is all internal to me. Some of my rights might have been wrongs and some of my wrongs might have been rights. It's all relative to where I was sitting. And fortunately for me, that I have been able to shake that for the most part. You know, I'd say 80, 90% of it. Uh, it's still there. Um, I still uh, have that, you know, that that ability to figure things out to understand how things work so that I can uh, work toward a solution. But um, it's not sort of so out of whack now as it was before. And I'm much more willing to be open to learning new things and much more able to quickly uh, 
say, oh, okay, well, maybe th this way I had it. Maybe there's a better way. Let me hear about it to see what it is. But I know as a kid and growing up and all through my active addiction, uh, I had a hard time feeling wrong because it didn't feel safe. You know, safety really is at the root, I think, of, of this uh, challenge of over-controlling and having to be the boss and needing to be the one in charge and needing to be the one that calls the shots and, and all of that, uh, you know, whether it's emotional or physical or, or uh, any other type of safety issue. And for me, the fear is what drives my, my desire to control, and I'll say it that way. I didn't know that at the time as a kid, that every time I got into fear, what was my solution was to try to fix it, you know, to yeah. try to control the situation. But um, later on, and after I got into recovery, I learned that that was my thinking pattern. If I can just figure out how to control this, everything will be okay. You know, I had no faith really in anything other than my own intellectual ability to figure something out. I'm remembering that I... I did not, and in, in many ways, I still don't, uh, did not like to be told what to do. I, I found that so common among many people, but certainly in recovery. Um, I'm not sure that I can think of a, a friend that I have in recovery who doesn't share that dislike of being told what to do. And, and it even shows up, and of course, this is safety related again, because if someone else is telling me what to do, then I've lost my power. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any um, say over where I end up. Um, I'm not the one uh, deciding how things are. I'm not the one understanding what's the right way to do it, not the right way to do it. Just sort of really feel, felt like it uh, takes away my sense of safety. Uh, a silly way that this shows up now is is my wife has been doing yoga for, I don't know, over 20 years or so. And every once in a while it would come up about whether – I could do a yoga class with her, but I, I'm repelled by yoga classes for one reason only. I cannot stand to have someone telling me constantly, do this, now put that arm there, now do this, now bend that. It drives me insane. Yeah, I can do yoga, but I have to do it by myself. I, I still really bristle at being directed moment to moment like that. It, it, it's That's how I know that it's still hanging around in there, even though I think I'm doing much better with it in general. <laughs> Oh, I think yeah, a lot of people can resonate with that. Uh, I know that I do, this uh, defiance that shows up and this resistance. I want to do it my way, and that's really the bottom line at this, at this place that I end up. So now that we know about this challenge, this challenge of needing to control things, what's the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that we each have the power to let go of that which no longer serves us. And in addiction recovery, we also know that this ability is an important part of our healing journey. So the ability to let go is one of unity's 12 powers. And the 12 powers are 12 spiritual tools that every person has that can be used to create a better life. So in unity, we call this ability to let go our power of release. But in our 12-step groups, you probably know it as surrender. And so that's what we want to focus on today. But what do we mean when we talk about surrender or release? What does that look like in our lives? Uh, what comes to mind first is uh, it, what it used to look like or what it looked like at first blush is, you know, letting other people control me, just like I was talking about with the uh, yoga class, you know, feeling like a, a puppet or something like that. That was the last thing that I wanted. You know, the word surrender um, 
felt like defeat. You know, surrender was what you know one side did in a in a war when they were losing and and uh, all hope was lost. Uh, so surrendering that concept, uh, n- not not an idea that I really liked when I thought of it that way. Now I do have to say that I really appreciate the Unity Twelve Power that we call release because release is is feels neutral. You know, surrender feels like I'm losing something, whereas release feels like you know I'm, I have a choice. I'm making a decision. It's for the better. It just seems like much more of a neutral term. I agree with that. You know, when I thought of surrender, I always think of of um, being a loser. You know, it, it, all the words that I can think of that have to do with with surrender have these negative connotations to them, whether it really meant that or not. You know, it meant to submit to some other power or to yield or concede or to defer. Or one of the words I really didn't like was quitter. You know, in our culture, um, we we really shame people into sticking with things a long time by calling them quitters. Don't be a quitter. You know, and I mean, and that kept me in some unhealthy patterns of behavior for a very long time because I didn't want to be a quitter, you know, and, and that, um, you know, that, that felt like that was the only power I had was either to hang on or to quit. You know, I didn't know that there was another choice, this power of release. Yeah. And, and that's so, you know, we have the jokes about that. It's like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop smoking. I'm no quitter. You know, I'm not going to go to those 12-step meetings. I'm not a quitter uh, for that very reason, that, that it seems like uh, we are losing uh, if we quit, even though we can choose to release things that are is very healthy for us to release. One thing I think about when I think about surrender or release as kind of an upside is, and this is quite a relief, it's no longer my problem. You know, that's the upside of uh, sort of the codependence, the Al-Anon side of all of this is that, that if I can get to a place where uh, I can genuinely release a situation, a person or whatever, uh, wow, look at all the energy I don't have to spend on that. It's no longer my problem. I'm saying if it ever even was, I mean, I perceive it as my problem, uh, which is in itself the core of the issue. But that's the upside of, of release is if I can find a, a way to let go of something, then, man, it just frees up so much energy. You know, there's that joke in the, uh, in the halls about everything I ever let go of had claw marks all over it. And I have identified with that so much. You know, I, I spent so many years being baffled about how do you know? How do you know when to hang on? How do you know when to let go? You know, I mean, and they say surrender to win. Well, I never won anything by quitting. So, you know, how does that work? I mean, it, it was one of those uh, paradigms, paradoxes that that really was baffling to me. And I remember when I was in college, I, I played basketball. I, I thought I was going to play basketball. But it turns out that even at my height and weight at that point in time, the other uh, kids on the team were outweighed me 20 pounds and four inches taller. And I got blown around like a leaf. Well, when do I quit? You know, and I, I quit when I got beat up enough. And that's really what happens in most of the situations in my life is that I quit when I get beat up enough because I don't see it coming that I need to let go of this thing. Uh, that's a great description of my alcoholism and recovery path right there. I did not see it coming that I need to let go of this thing. I'm not sure I even had the ability to let go of it. And I didn't let go of it until I was certainly um, you know, beaten and bruised in a in a metaphorical sense. 
Uh, one, one downside for me when I think about the concepts of surrender or release is that it feels like a loss of control, even if that was an illusion of control. Uh, letting go of it you know, feels like a real threat to that um, my sense of safety, my sense of feeling okay uh, that we were talking about before. Because if I can't control or understand and control a situation, then um, I feel like I'm in danger to it. So surrendering or letting go felt like a loss of control. And that'd be, that was very worrying for me. I had a hard time letting go of anything. Like you shared that, um, haven't let go of anything that didn't have claw marks in it. When I first heard that, um, you know, I had that feeling like these people are reading my mail, you know, how do they know this about me so well when, when they were really just sharing their own experience, which I also had. So this power of release, you know, this spiritual tool, surrender is really a spiritual tool. And what baffled me for a long time, as I just mentioned, was how to know if something is still serving me or not. You know, is it still serving me if it makes me feel good? Is it still serving me if it helps me advance in the world? You know, is it is it still serving me if it brings me peace or joy or happiness or or pain? You know, I mean, there were lots of ways that I was trying to make decisions in my life that that were not the right criteria, you know, and, and I did not learn about uh, surrender until I um, allowed myself to be open to the ideas of the program, that perhaps there was a different way and I could surrender just to that idea that my way wasn't working and let's be open to something else. Yeah, that's a real upside of it. We talk uh, in unity about, um, you know, releasing that which no longer serves us. And I love that phrase that which no longer serves us is such a neutral, you know, it's, it, 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 it's a non-judgmental way of assessing um, any aspect of my life. And so, of course, I would want to release that which no longer serves me. That's a much more palatable way to view um, surrender. Although I have to say, I, I don't view surrender in a negative way now. You know, I'm, I'm sharing about how I had viewed it in the past when it was kind of... Um, you know, wired into, linked with my sense of safety. But one of the upsides of letting something go, of surrendering a situation, if you will, is that I don't have to take care of it myself. I don't have to do everything myself again. It, 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 again, this example has that, um, that feeling of relief that goes along with release. Like, wow, what a burden off my shoulders if I can just... Uh, when I let this go, I realize, uh, you know, how many things I get to cross off my to-do list all at once. I love crossing things off my to-do list. That's the upside of releasing something or surrendering a situation that's no longer serving me. And so release for me is a process. You know, I mean, it sounds simple, you know, a, a black and white. Just let it go, you know, and they say, let God, let, let go and let God. Yeah, right. How do we do that? And so for me, the process as I was mentioning, was first recognizing this is not serving me any longer. And there's a whole process around that. You know, is it causing me pain, et cetera? You know, and then often for me, is, there's that defiance piece that comes up that you that you talked about. Yeah, but I'm right. You know, I, I want to argue about this. I, I want to be right. And so I have to work on letting that piece go. And then I have to choose to respond instead of reacting. You know, I have to, have to work on that piece. What is an appropriate response here? Maybe nothing is an appropriate response. Maybe I need to bite my tongue. Maybe I need to walk away. Maybe I need to do something else. And then 
I can do all of that under, I'll call it self-will. I can grit my teeth and I can clench my fists and I can turn and walk away, but that's not surrender. You know, I haven't come to peace with that. And so the rest of that process for me is using the spiritual tools I've been given to change my thinking. And that includes prayer and meditation, among other things. It includes phone calls and and all of the, the tools that we talk about in the program, because I have to change my thinking in order to gain the emotional peace that I'm looking for. Yeah, I can really uh, resonate with that. What you're describing, sort of a multi-layered, a multi-leveled approach that that really, at the end of the day, I mean, if we step back or looking in hindsight, we can say things like, oh, well, I just had to let it go. But really, like you're sharing, it's not that simple. And that's been my experience as well. You know, a, a good recent example of this is I, I recently, you know, in the last year, um, maybe it's it maybe it's been nine months uh, coming up on nine months, I quit smoking cigarettes. You know, I, I smoked cigarettes most of my adult life. There were times that I'd quit in the past. And ironically, or maybe not, so uh, if you're in recovery and listening to this, this would make perfect sense. Uh, when I quit drinking, I started smoking again, even though I hadn't smoked for about eight years uh, at that time. Go figure. That's part of the insanity. But smoking had or has, in a sense, that that control aspect to it. And even though there was a a way that I could clearly recognize that it was no longer serving me, um, it was a complex relationship. And letting go of it, you know, surrendering that habit um, took some doing and took time. And, you know, I had to make multiple uh, efforts to quit and and it was hard and it wouldn't work and then it was irritating and then I couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden, it did. It was easy to let it go, but it wasn't easy getting to that place. That's why when people have said uh, about smoking in particular, never quit quitting, uh, I think that's very wise. But yeah, letting go of something is not just snap your fingers and be done with it. It's unraveling a complex relationship, as you were sharing. Well, and you know, in the beginning of the show, we were talking about that. How do we stop pissing people off? You know, how do we stop trying to control everybody else's life? How do we let people be as as each of us in this group, each of us in this this um, recovery group have these issues? Most of us do anyway. And we, we have this same sense of defiance and the same sense of don't tell me what to do and that kind of thing. And, and we are all in charge. And so, you know, how do we bring this all together? And, you know, and so what what release looked like for me then was just the ability to walk away and to go, you know what, that's not my circus. I don't have to deal with that. That's their deal. I don't have to go to every argument I'm invited to. And there's plenty of debates. (laughs) That's right. I've heard that said that if someone tosses you a ball, you don't have to catch it. You know, we each get to make that decision for ourselves. We don't let... Uh, well, ideally, we don't uh, we don't need to let other people kind of dictate the terms, if you will, of our uh, interactions or our discussions. Uh, a silly example, and I've mentioned this before, but I love it because it is so silly. Uh, when I first got into recovery, the first meeting I went to, we would, of course, pass the basket for each of us to make a donation as we're self-supporting. And the path that that basket took around the room used to drive me crazy <laughs> because I could tell you, I knew the best, most efficient, that's what I mean when I say best, I knew the most efficient way. And then now I can look back and laugh at that, like as if that has anything to do with anything. I mean, I probably wasn't wrong, but still. So let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, 
We'd love to hear from you as we continue this conversation. The phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, Please make your donation today by going to UnityOnlineRadio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first take an account of what we're feeling those sights that we're seeing those sensations that we're experiencing and each breath that we breathe notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations let your breathing find its own rhythm as we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. Daily Word has developed beautiful card decks to support your spiritual journey. One deck is about healing. Another is about finding peace in troubled times. And the family cards are two decks, one for parents and one that can be colored on for children. So families can talk about spiritual principles together. The card decks are available from Unity. Go to unity.org, then click on Shop or call 1-800-24-UNITY Monday through Friday. Find the truth within yourself that heals, reveals, guides, and transforms. Tune in to Reverend Galen McDowell every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms. Take a deep dive into the practical aspects of new thought teaching, starting with forgiveness, spiritual healing, prosperity, and more. Reverend McDowell welcomes some amazing guests, and topics can range from reincarnation to the Bible to science. Big plans to join the show here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. 
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and I'm here with Rev. Dan Beckett. We'll resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. And so prior to the break, we were discussing this aspect that so many of us uh, seem to have in recovery, this need to control things, and also about the solution of surrender or release. So now that we know about this challenge, this need that we all seem to have to control things, and we know that the, situ- the solution is, to, is surrender or release, how exactly does letting go uh, help us come to a new cooperative way of being in the world? You know, I'm not sure if I know how it helps us, but what I do know is how I had to approach learning that, learning this uh, ability, learning to use this ability. And the very, very, very first tool that I was given was the serenity prayer. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Well, obviously, I know nothing about what I can change and what I can't because I keep trying to control everything. I'm powerless over different things, and my life is miserable. So I had to skip that part for a while, (laughs) you know, and the courage to change the things I can. Well, what can I change? I've been trying to change lots of things and nothing seems to be working. So that was where the key was. Uh, I don't know if it was a therapist or a sponsor told me the key is the courage to change the things I can. The only thing I can change is me. I can change my ideas, my attitude, my belief systems, my behaviors, my emotions, my thinking, but I cannot change any of that in anybody else. And so that was the, the key for me to learning about how to do this. And then the wisdom to know the difference. Well, that gave me the tool. The wisdom to know the difference is the first question I ask myself is, is this about me? Because if the answer is yes, then I know what to, what to do to go forward. If the answer is no, then I need usually support in walking away from it. That reminds me of something that I found super helpful and funny. You know, a lot of our uh, helpful concepts and phrases that we have are, are wry. You know, they have a, a kind of a humor to them that uh, appeals to me. And, and this one was about the hula hoop. You know about the hula hoop, right? So is it outside my hula hoop? And that's such a great visual because my hula hoop is, is a circle that I hold. It's just around me. Nobody else fits inside my hula hoop. So anything inside my hula hoop, that's my realm. That's what I can do something about. If it's outside my hula hoop, that's not for me. And, and it helps in the very same way that you were describing to differentiate, well, what, you know, what are the things that are mine to do? And what are the things that I really need to apply a letting go of or a surrendering um, of those things? And that hula hoop uh, and that phrase, you know, that's outside my hula hoop. You know, we have our own shorthand jargon. Uh, we can say that to each other. Well, I think that's outside your hula hoop. We know exactly what we mean by that. I find that super helpful and silly and funny, which is makes it even better. You know, I recall a time when I had um, a very emotional situation going on with with uh, one of my 
uh, relatives. And I was all distraught about this. And I went to my sponsor and I told this long and involved story and, and all the things I was thinking about doing to fix it. And, you know, I got, I got through the whole story and she just looked at me and she said, did they ask? <laughs> and you know, I had that engraved on a bracelet that I wore for several years because that was the missing piece in there. I'm trying to fix things for people that they don't, they're, they're not asking me to do. It's just, I've taken it upon myself to fix the world and it's my job because I care about you to step in and to tell you how to run your life and here I'll help you fix that and I'll loan you money and give you a place to live and all of those kinds of things. And the simple question, did they ask, <laughs> you know, just brought me up short. Well, but maybe they're not smart enough to know that they need to know all the things that I know. And so I need to help them and they don't know. So I haven't, I, I say I haven't done that in a long time. I think that the last time I did that was the day before yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, have been thinking and talking lately about how, you know, I'm, I'm some, uh, some, what do we say, a few 24 hours into my addiction recovery, but uh, I might need to take up the Al-Anon path now because uh, I know other people who are um, on an addiction path that I feel the need to uh, direct, correct, uh, um, enlighten, guide, share my wisdom and all that stuff. And, and what's reminding me about all this is what your sponsor said. Well, did they ask? Well, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> you say, do they need it? Of course they need it. Well, that's not the question. You know, we talk about our recovery program as it's a program for people who choose it, not for people who need it. And um, I need to let other people make their own choices. And sometimes that can be really hard to do. But fortunately, like we're saying, we have a program for that, or you know, the sister program to the to the A's is the Anons uh, program. Another uh, answer to that question, you know, how do we? How is it that? Um, I've been able to use surrender or release to let go of that, uh, you know, unskillful use of control, if you will. And just like everything, and this always comes to mind first, well, how was I able to do that? I was able to do it one day at a time, one little bit at a time. And, and that's just like everything I've discovered on my recovery path is that everything comes a little bit here, a little bit there, couple words at a meeting here, a couple words at a meeting there, maybe an insight that I have from some reading that I'm doing. And each of these, you know, seemingly tiny little, each one themselves doesn't feel like much. It doesn't feel like it contains a lot of power. It doesn't feel like it's going to be that helpful in my recovery. But what I've found is that over time, sort of the sum of all these little things uh, does make a huge difference in my life. And that's the, that's the power of that saying that we have one day at a time. I don't need to, and I can't in fact do everything all at once. I need to allow things to unfold, um, in a natural manner. And that's, so that's part of, you know, how was I able to use these abilities that we have to, uh, you know, create or co-create a life of, of, uh, joy and serenity one little bit at a time kind of uh, uh, playing off of that that first thought about did they ask you know then then the the um, focus pivoted it turned and I was told they're fine doing what they're doing what do I need to do for me and I didn't know 
because I was so busy being wrapped up in everybody else's life, I didn't know what I needed to do for me. And so I had to be given some uh, direction and some guidance. And I did uh, join another um, sister program many years into my recovery because I had not recovered from the the codependency and family uh, disease aspects of this this uh, thing called addiction. And I learned that it's my fear that drives my desire to control. And fear, we have many acronyms for that, but the one that I use is future events appearing real. And I learned that I was using this power of imagination that I had in an unskillful way to imagine all the terrible bad things that might happen in the future if I did not fix things right now. And, and I had to learn to ask myself this question. And the question is, is everything okay right this minute? Is everything okay right this minute? Is everything with me okay right this minute? Other than being emotionally a bit uncomfortable, the answer is always yes. And so then that pointed to my next step, which is I have to learn to deal with my own emotional discomfort. Because really, that's at the root of why I'm running around trying to fix everybody. Yes, and we'd like to be able to answer that question, yeah, not yeah, but. Is everything okay right? Yeah, but okay, it's fine right now. But what about this? What about that? What's going to happen? You know, there's, um, I do have some uh, struggle even now with, with the idea of just, you know, got a lot of other people doing what they're doing because sometimes, you know, I've seen in the world that we will do an intervention. I have a, I have a dear program friend uh, who says it so well and colorfully that uh, one day, uh, right before he got in recovery, he walked into a room and uh, that he had been invited to, and there are his parents and three of his ex-girlfriends. And he thought, uh-oh, <laughs> something's going on. And and they had put together an intervention, you know, to because sometimes uh, when we're in our um, addiction, we can't see what's going on. And sometimes the people around us uh, might, might need to get together and at least uh, express it. So, I, I still have um, some confusion around it on that point. But switching gears, uh, one way that I've been able to use surrender and release to move from that, uh, you know, that un, that yucky feeling of needing to control things in, into a cooperative kind of living is with the help of others. And I'm thinking of my program friends. And I, I can remember so many... I have images in my mind. I can remember where I was standing when my friend said something that was so very helpful to me. And I picked up so many things from, um, you know, program friends. These are the people that, you know, we talk about the meeting before the meeting. These are the people I was smoking cigarettes with out in the parking lot before the meeting. Uh, these are the people I went to get some scrambled eggs and coffee or whatever uh, after the meeting. And so I learned a lot and, and still do from the help of friends who are in the program. Uh, in the beginning, I was learning a lot of things that I really didn't know anything about. Uh, and I still do that, but I also sometimes just need to be reminded of things like you just shared with, is everything okay with me right here and right now? And to be able to just let the answer be yes and not yes, but... You know, those verbal cues are really what uh, keys me to my mental status. When I say, yeah, but, you know, that tells me I'm in resistance. That tells me I'm in defiance. That tells me I'm not surrendered. And sometimes that's as important to know as that I, because that tells me that I want to get to being surrendered. And of course, then what I have to do is become willing. And so there was one of the, um, 
one of the tools that helped me a lot was to learn the third step prayer um, from uh, the big book and to get on my knees and say it every morning. And it was, I memorized it, and it was an outward expression of my inward willingness to try to align my will and my thoughts with what I believed God's will was for my life. And sometimes I had to say it multiple times a day, but I have to say that when I would start my day in an attitude of willingness to try a different direction, a willingness to become aligned with with the higher good, to turn my will and my life, if you will, over to the care of my higher power for that day, that my life started going better. And I started having fewer fears about things because I had this tiny bit of confidence that maybe there was somebody else helping steer the boat. Yeah, and that's a wonderful feeling that um, what I'm hearing there is and reminding me of that glimpse of the idea that maybe it would be okay if I didn't uh, literally try to control everything, that, that sense of relief. And um, in, in that, I hear that, you know, the beginning of my ability to um, rely on uh, a power greater than myself, as we would say. And willingness also uh, comes to mind uh, prominently for me as I think about, you know, how, how is it that release or surrender um, helps me move out of this need to control things. And, and the particular willingness that I have in mind is my just willingness to participate. You know, as a young person, I, I really was not someone who participated in things. I needed to uh, observe and understand things and usually didn't have enough time. And if I did observe and understand it, then I didn't feel motivated to participate in it because I felt like I kind of already got it. So the willingness to participate, which look what that looks like is the simplest things. Uh, work the steps, get a sponsor, go to a meeting each day, you know, to participate in the, um, the flow of recovery, in the suggestions that were made, to participate actively in the recovery process by showing up, by engaging. Um, I found that tremendously helpful. Not only uh, did that willingness... Um, allow me to walk a successful recovery path, it, of course, started to show up in many other places in my life. And I became willing in ways that I hadn't been in a lot of different areas. And it was really a, a key um, skill, if you will, or, you know, will or willingness is, in a sense, one of those uh, spiritual powers that we have. For me, it was one that really made and continues to make a world of difference. For me, it, again, it is the point at which I become willing. How much pain does it take? You know, can I see it coming? Do I recognize this pattern? Has somebody pointed something out to me? And now I go, oh, here it comes. I can get willing to change the trajectory of my behavior or my thinking at any point in time once I'm aware of it. Um, and sometimes I hang on because I have this insane thought that, well, because this time it'll be different, and we've talked about that before, and somebody might say something to me, and I'll say, yeah, but, you know, so I'm still resistant, and so one of the, the things about willingness that I have noticed for me is all I have to be is 51%. I just have to barely tip the scale into actually taking some action based on that willingness, as opposed to waiting until I feel 99.9% .9 certain that I want to be willing about this. 
one of the ways that uh, was coming to mind that letting go is uh, helped me is um, and it all seems to come down to that what I'm what I'm letting go of constantly is this need to control things that that feels like almost the only thing that I have uh, needed to let go of. but what one that and that opens up space for other things and one thing that it opened up and you just mentioned this this idea that well maybe maybe there is this uh, maybe there is a concept of a higher power that uh, would be helpful to me if I were to develop it and so the power of strength comes into play there if I'm if I'm willing to let go of some of the need to control things and then the faith that this process will work for me you know faith is a very broad term and we can have faith in lots of different things, of course. But one way that faith was very helpful to me um, in the beginning, and and not in a churchy kind of faith way, but just that that what has worked for other people can also work for me if I do what they have said that they did. You know, that sort of slowly developed. There's some trust in there that's necessary. Well, they're not just pretending that this worked, that when they say they did this, they actually did do it, and, and it did work for them. And you know what? Maybe if if I allowed that to be my path forward, you know, instead of having to come up with my own, if I allowed that to be my path forward, maybe that this process would work for me. You know, an awful lot of what you just described falls under the umbrella of sponsorship, and, you know, getting one and being one. And I learned about myself something I didn't really like a lot uh, in this process, which is I got pretty dogmatic about, well, if you just do what I said, because this is what worked for me, you know, w- which really kind of harkens back to what we were just talking about, about running other people's lives, you know, that, that this is the program, this is the way it worked for me, here's your prescription, now just go do it and you'll be fine. You know, that there was a, a phase that I believed that, that I believed that, that that was what, um, what it took in order, because that's how it worked for me. But what I learned after I got into the sister program was that, um, everybody has the right to be wrong and everybody has the right to learn from their own mistakes, you know, and everybody is equal and that who's, who made me the boss of them, you know, nobody. And so I needed to allow them the dignity to suffer the consequences of their own decisions, to reap the rewards of their own decisions, either one. But that, you know, and it took me a while to grow out of that uh, attitude. I can understand why that would be. Uh, I think that uh, I'm still working on that. I think that that's uh, still active in my life. And like a lot of these things, um, you know, we, we develop some skills and I'm not I'm not even sure that I lacked these abilities, but I, I am sure that they were underdeveloped. So, you know, the, the willingness to participate or the ability to participate, for example. Um, one power that I know that was very helpful to me is the power of imagination. And, it's, and I, I've never not had the power of imagination, but I'm thinking, I suppose, more about how I direct that power and the way that that power came uh, into into play for me and recovery is related to what I was just sharing that, okay, so these other people, they seem to have done pretty well with this and they seem to have uh, pretty good lives now. And they're saying what they did in order to get there. And maybe, 
if I did it, um, I could get there too. And the there that I could get was something that I could use my imagination to see. Like, well, if I look at, at what they're saying about how their lives used to be and how I'm seeing that they are now, I can use that to imagine, well, what, what would my life be like if this recovery process worked for me? And so I was able to use that it's kind of visualization, you know, part of it was visual, part of it's a more of a feeling, you know, an, an, an emotional sort of creation uh, to, to let me envision, imagine a better life. And it, and it really worked. You know, one of the tools that worked for me that was actually the very, very first tool that I learned about was called detachment. And I didn't know what that meant. I thought that meant ignore it and it'll go away. And it didn't, of course. And uh, the things that we ignore only get bigger if we're just avoiding, you know, this avoidance behavior around things. But what I learned about detachment was it was some very simple things, like I could go ahead and eat supper when it was ready and on the table. I didn't have to wait for somebody else. And I could go ahead and take my own car if somebody else was running late. I didn't have to wait and be mad because we were going to be late going to an event or whatever. You know, I, I started learning how to detach myself uh, through boundaries mostly um, about from from both emotionally and spiritually from the behaviors of another person. Um, and we, we talk about it in the programs. We talk about detaching in anger. You know, I do it because I'm all mad about it and I'm angry and I'm just going to go take care of myself, you know, and then pretty soon I get to a point where I can just detach and then eventually, hopefully, detach in love. But it, but that, there was a pamphlet when I went into the Al-Anon program. There was a pamphlet called Detachment. I carried that thing around with me because it kept reminding me, this is a tool I can use. Yeah, I'm going to have to get that thing. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here realizing that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, well, what it is, what is it that I released? You know, what did I surrender? What did I give up? And really what everything has in common is that, is that I released anything that was blocking my following the recovery path, you know, as it had been laid out by others. So one thing I release is the resistance of following a path that I didn't know anything about that they figured out. And now I've got to do it. Well, what if it could be better? I mean, what if it's not right for me? You know, all these what ifs um, that might prevent me from following that path. I had to release all of those things. And so I used, uh, you know, my willpower, if you will. Now, willpower is a, a bad word in a sense in recovery because uh, while it's true that I cannot um, change my drinking habit by willpower, I can use my power of will to make the decision to follow the recovery path. And that's what I did. And that, you know, th that seems to be a theme in all of this. You know, what you're really talking about is taking your power back. You know, it, it, this power of release, by letting go, we actually get our life back. We actually get um, some power and control back, you know, and, and the way I know I need to let go of something is my life is unmanageable. I'm powerless over something. I'm trying to control it. And guess what? My life is unmanageable. And that is the clue for me to go, what am I stuck on? You know, what am I hanging on to? What am I trying to control that is uncontrollable? Yeah. And, and the upside of strength, because sometimes we use strength to hold on to things that we would be better to release. Um, the upside of strength is that it can keep, it can keep me coming back, keep showing up, keep coming back. But let's now move into action. 
As unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from a need to control things to the peace of cooperative living using surrender. So think of something or someone that you may still be trying to control. Is there something at work that you wish, someone at work that you would wish would act differently? Or maybe a close friend or spouse that's not doing things the way you'd like. Or perhaps you need to let go of somebody else's recovery path. What's important is to pick one thing and preferably something simple that we can take into a time of prayer and meditation this week and simply relax and take it easy. Let it be easy, in fact. So let's use letting go of the way others manage their recovery as an example. So we use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to the way that other people do things. You could say something like, the, other, the way other people live their recovery has no power over me. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud and say it with conviction. The way other people live their recovery has no power over me. And follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, I claim my peace and lovingly surrender them to God using the power of release. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and then just move on with your day. And once again, the way other people live their recovery has no power over me. I claim my peace and lovingly surrender them to God using the power of release. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something that can help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. So thank you to our listeners, and thank you, Reverend Dan Beckett, our co-host, for the discussion and the insights that were shared today. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. And listeners, be sure to check us out on the archive on unityonlineradio.org. There are seven years of Spirit of Recovery podcasts available to listen to anytime you choose. And if you only caught half of this one, you can catch the whole thing there. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.